Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. If you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everybody. I hope you're having a great Monday morning, and I hope you're getting into this week in full swing. So this whole pandemic year is actually coming to its first anniversary, and I hope it's going to be the last. So I'm just curious, did you develop some sort of habits or coping mechanisms that helped you to get through this difficult year? For me, the one thing that kept me sane was going for walks, extended walks, Basically, every day I go for a one-hour walk, mostly by myself, but sometimes accompanied by my partner or family or friends. But I do like these quiet times just by myself and getting to reflect of what's going on or thinking about podcast conversations that I had or possible podcast guests that's coming up. So I used to listen to podcasts myself during those walks or listen to books. But recently I found out that I actually enjoy listening just to my own thoughts and I needed this quietness a little bit because I feel like when I'm home and also working from home, the podcast and having social media going on and having, you know, TV and Netflix It just feels there's just a lot of noise constantly that sometimes we don't listen to ourselves enough. And I started taking more breaks from my devices and I felt like I always need to be productive, even using the walks to gain more insights, to learn something new. But 
Actually, sometimes it's really good just to let also my subconscious do some work and just me wandering and let my thoughts wander. It's kind of like, I don't know if that's already meditation, but it feels a little bit like it, I must say. So that's what's helping me, keeping me sane during this difficult times that we have currently on a global scale. So I hope my podcast does give you a little bit of positivity and insight and a little bit of refreshment in those kind of weird times that we're in. So, but let's get right to it. I don't want to keep you longer waiting for today's guest. Today, I invited Nadia Abo-Shair to the podcast, and we actually met through Aurora Remember Holtzman. We met uh, one of Aurora's community calls and Nadia reached out afterwards and we had a conversation, just the two of us, and just felt like we had so much in common, even more than our names. <laughs> and she shared with me her story and also revealed that my podcast helped her getting in tune with herself, her story. And especially hearing other gifted women talk about their journey that seemingly normal <laughs> adults suddenly realize, oh, there's a little bit more to who I am and there's actually an explanation for a lot of things. And so we had a very great conversation and then I said, well, would you like to share your story with my listeners so that other people can also relate? Because I feel the power in this podcast is having so many different angles and stories that are different, but in the essence, they have so many similarities. And that's, I think, is the power. Because if you tell somebody, oh, you might be gifted or, oh, gifted traits, and then you read a technical book or... <laughs> somebody talks in abstract ways about the concept of giftedness. It's one thing, but I think to really relate, it helps to hear personal stories of people that are also living this life and realizing, oh, wow, and struggling to accept and struggling to understand and then feeling empowerment through this realization and how they then take this newfound information and making great careers and relationships and projects out of this. So I think that's really where the power lies in this podcast. And so, yeah, Nadia agreed to come and share her story. And so without further ado, here is Nadia Aboshoyer. Welcome, Nadia. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> It's nice to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. As you know, we have a lot in common. <laughs> Name for one thing. Name, and... like, obviously. <laughs> and our gift for loving to talk and being excited and exuberant. And I really enjoyed hearing the first few episodes. I didn't know because the podcast evolved very organically when I was listening to it. But just your temperament and the way that you were describing yourself, I could really resonate with as someone who's very exuberant and effusive in my own language and talking. And it, so it was really nice to get a chance to talk to you as a similar neurodivergent person. <laughs> 
Yeah, I really loved our first talk. And I'm super excited you decided to share your story also to showcase that there's so many different gifted story, but they have so many similarities. And just for somebody else that's listening that could relate and say, oh, yeah, I can relate. So why don't you start with your own story? How did you find out about giftedness? How did you come across this topic? So this is such an interesting experience for me because I was identified as gifted as a child. I remember taking a test at someone's house. They were identifying different kids back then. I'm from California and they had a gifted program. And so they would test students who were, I assume, that they saw that they had potential based on their way that they were handling language or handling math or whatever that was taught in school. So they tested me. I tested as gifted. And then I was so self-conscious about the label, even as a, I think I was maybe nine or 10 years old. I was in elementary school and I was so self-conscious about the label because I had lots of friends who were not identified as gifted. And I didn't see the difference between me and them in many ways, also because I grew up in California where there was a lot of racism at the time toward Mexican-American people from other countries. And I was Arab and white and my mixed race background made me often mistaken for being Mexican or being from that area. And so I was always being aware of this racism underneath things. And so then when I got tested as gifted, and then they wanted to put me into the gifted program, I think I unconsciously saw that there was this inequality. So then I thought, I don't want to stand out. And also, I don't feel like I belong with that ethnic type, not because because it was mostly white kids in the gifted program. Unfortunately, there were some that were identified that weren't. But this is just an issue that I realize now looking back is that I was so conscious of inequality. It's like one of my gifted traits is to notice when there's maybe a disparity and really want to work around social justice. So that story kind of starts me in this direction where I actually asked my parents not to put me in the program. I said, I don't want to be in it. I don't want other people to see me. I was a little self-conscious too. I was kind of a shy person in certain ways. I didn't want to be targeted. I could see that people bullied people if they were too smart. So that's when I think I started really masking my abilities and also, unfortunately, not maybe valuing my gifts, like more seeing them as traits that now other people might see as being better or more capable. And so then I would you know, stand out. And I could already see that there was many times where I was with friends and I would just, my vocabulary would be more, or I would have like, you know, just be able to quickly do something. And then they would be struggling. And I even was tutoring one of my friends and I was feeling like, like I could tell there was just something not right. Like, you know, in the, in the system, like it just didn't feel like the system was fair. So then anyway, I went on through school, never went back to the gifted program, at least in elementary. But then I I just, because of my ability and because I really liked rigor and wanting to do good work, I did end up taking what is called gate classes in my high school. And then they're called advanced placement. Those are the other classes that they call them. That Those are the ones where they are a little more challenging and, you know, the level of maybe the learning is also given the educational standards a little higher. But I found also in those environments, very challenged, very challenged in the similar way that I described, because a lot of the privilege that I saw 
of those that got to be in those classes was related to race and class and a lot of things that were more about social inequality. And I didn't see as many of my friends who I knew were also gifted, maybe in those classes as well, if they were not of those backgrounds. So there was something, definitely a connection. I had one friend who I became close to who he and I could really relate. He was Mexican-American. And in my sort of dimension of social justice, I could talk about those things with them. But I noticed that I couldn't talk about those things with the other like gifted or sort of the people in the other programs. So that that was kind of illuminating looking back on my history and then looking back on how much I suffered in those environments because what I wanted to talk about was like social inequality. <laughs> and I'd be like, wait, there's like a gender gap here in this classroom. I don't see that the women are allowed to talk or, you know, and then I would get this like really negative response from the teacher. Cause you know, I was kind of questioning the pedagogy of the class or something, you know, and, and I got such negative feedback that I thought, wow, am I just like a bad, like, I was like, am I a bad person? Like, do I just like bring up things because I'm being, you know, but I would literally feel like there were these conversations where women's voices would be silenced. Or if you brought up a gender issue or an inequality, there'd be this like silence and kind of silencing. And now I know from experience that that's like pretty typical. And of course, the time I grew up in, this was like, what is this? What year am I talking about? Like we're talking the early nineties in California. Okay. Not the most like aware. (laughs) We weren't like, Oh yeah, everything was all equal. And you know, it was not, and there was a lot of racism and there still is. And that's what we're seeing now in our country is this kind of renewed understanding that there's been so many of these issues. So I was definitely experiencing those, but made to feel like don't talk about that. So then you went through high school and you went to college and you knew you were gifted, but you didn't understand what that actually means for you as a person. How did you then get more into the topic of like, oh, this is why <laughs> this yeah. is why I didn't fit in with, you know, yeah. the high achievers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting, too, is that like throughout my college, if you look at like what I decided to study, I was extremely interdisciplinary and I really wanted to study things that integrated my complex level of knowledge in many, many subjects and even integrating them so that I would be like, oh, well, I'm interested in social justice. Well, how does that relate to literature? How can we use literature to understand social justice. So my major in college was an interdisciplinary peace and conflict studies major with an emphasis on literature. And the reason why I chose that was then I could read every possible book. It was sort of a way to get to be an English major without going through the terrible English program feeling of like being stuck reading all of these very like old, old texts, you know? (laughs) And it was just like, a revelation of like, I can design which classes I take. And so, so that just shows you like how much I was really wanting to take control of my education, but also that I needed for my own giftedness. I still didn't really make the connection at that time that I somehow needed to know multiple subjects all the time. It would always be like, no, that's not enough. I need to know environmental science. No, that's not enough. I need to have a little more awareness of this. And I really was originally wanted to be an artist, but then I had so much other interest in writing and reading that it almost like I kept competing. And even if you read my college admission essay, it said like, 
I've always like really loved this and this. And, you know, they want you to pick a major. And I would be like, well, could we double major? Could I triple major? But then you don't want to be like, (laughs) you don't want to be like kind of like too overwhelmed because I'd get really overwhelmed too. And so I remember like even in college being like, I can only take this many units because then I can't do it with this amount of depth. And I remember seeing the other students in the classes being like, you take your education so seriously, but this is going back to like social justice. I felt so grateful (laughs) to have an education. Like I didn't grow up with a lot of money and I got a scholarship to go to school. And so my whole logic was like, well, I have to get the most out of this experience. Like I was just like ready to go. I was just like ready to like do anything. And then I also, because I went to UC Berkeley, this was like a disappointment a little because I didn't know how elite and competitive it would be. And I transferred there from a city college. And so my city college experience was actually the more neurodivergently attuned because I could take all these classes at a city college, which is a more, it's like a more open college. It's not a rigorous application process. We had great teachers there, but it didn't have that elite stamp. And actually that was exactly the right environment for me, but they didn't have four-year city colleges. So then I went to UC Berkeley thinking, well, I'm going to do this great thing going to a place that's like this important place with all this knowledge. And then in fact, it was like very conflicting for me because it was very competitive. And that's a really hard thing for gifted people sometimes is to deal with the stress, I think, of having to not compete against yourself or do your best. It's not that rigorous thing. It's competing against literally other people. There's curves in the classes. There's a lot of pitting students against one another. There's a lot of fear around saying what you want. So then I was back to the same feeling of high school. I was like, no, like I was so mad. I was like, I felt so tricked. And I was really angry. And so then like I had, I was like, no, but I got to finish my degree. So by the last semester there, I was just like tapped out and I didn't understand the whole gifted connection at all at that time. I just thought, well, I'm smart, but somehow I'm not smart. Like somehow I'm, I'm not working this, this angle. Like every time I would try some new thing, I'd be like, I don't understand why. I don't understand why the whole educational system is built this way. Like, you know, like, I was like, I just want to opt out again. Like, like I said, with yeah, like if everybody keeps saying I'm so smart, why can I not figure this out? Yeah. Yeah. Why can't we all get along? That was back to social justice. Why are people fighting? And I mean, to go back into my background, you know, I grew up with this backdrop of having seen my dad's family, you know, attacked by the United States. He's from Iraq. And so having this entire like backdrop of like social justice, I was really curious about like, what is the solution to, you know, global crisis? Like early on, like in my teens, I was like, surely there's a better way. Surely there's a diplomatic solution. Surely we shouldn't be killing people for, you know, and taking away basic human rights. So this was like a touchstone for me since I was young was this like inexplicable like why are people like you know uh yeah so this equality thing has always been really in the forefront of my mind and trying to figure out ways to support that need in myself but also be heard and felt has been a struggle like often I'll bring up these issues and people like you're taking it too seriously I'm like, how can you be taking, like, it's global crisis. Like, how can I take it less seriously? But anyway, it's it's just like. It's your small talk, right? Yeah, it's like, let's just be, like, okay with the way things are. And, I, of course, that's not 
how things change. So, so that's been a struggle for me, I think, as a gifted person, where I didn't see places where I could express those sort of needs. And now that I only now recently, only about six months before listening to your podcast, was I really adjusted to, okay, I'm gifted, it's this. And then I listened to your podcast and it was even more informative in a way because it had this narrative structure that I could really identify with where the characterization of it was a lot more like me, where it was just regular life stories, people going through this thing and not understanding. And you had one person on, I think you had one person on that said this thing of like, then you look back on your whole life and you're like, oh, I think that's all of the people. (laughs) That was what was going on. I didn't understand. I had all these sensitivities. Like I would have conflicts in relating to people that I didn't understand was just because I was so sensitive to like imagining all the possibilities of how they were thinking that I couldn't like turn it off. Like I'd be like, well, maybe they're thinking this or this and this. And then of course I would come across as like, why is she anticipating several of these (laughs) possible things that I could be saying why doesn't she just listen to what I'm saying but it would be really hard I think because I would always be trying to understand and then sometimes people would just be having a bad day and I would be like maybe something I said or whatever you know I would just be really like cautious about all these interactions and I, I realized that neurotypical people maybe kind of just gloss over a lot of these things and for me it was like no I deeply process emotions I I listen to what people are saying and I usually get a lot of emotional stimulation and whether or not some of it is accurate that you know sometimes what I have to really think about but I'm usually pretty perceptive and that would also be a problem for me because it would be like I would just immediately see oh you two are in a conflict right now you know or whatever or, or this thing isn't working because of this and then I'd have to figure out how do I like not share that because people don't like it when you read their mind and they don't want you to say those things. So I think, I think that's been also the emotional excitability for me has been something I've been recently really understanding, I guess, in all this conversation, you know, even just exploring this with you on this show, it's like, I'm, I'm coming into realizing, oh yeah, this really is like, a way of being. And there's other people like this that have this strong depth perception and need to process things in this way and need to articulate and even need to talk through a lot of things through this gifted trait. I don't know if that fully answered (laughs) what you were asking. Maybe you can explain how was then the first time, like you said, six months before my show, but do you remember like what triggered it? Did you listen to another podcast, a book or a conversation? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. how did you get started on this journey? I'm, I'm just curious for people to, to find oh, out. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it was so, so my last job, I was a human resources manager and I was really struggling in that profession to find my voice in that job because I was very much focused on this equality and other things. And so I started getting feedback from other people that I was maybe a little too intense, like a little too much, or like you care too much. This is what I kept hearing. This is the feedback. These, cause I'm in HR, people are giving me feedback all the time. They're like, you just need to care less. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Care less. And then at one point I remember I had a meeting with my supervisor and I just turned to her and I just said, you need to affirm my identity. <laughs> And I was like, 
why does she need to affirm my identity? So I was in this kind of loop of like, I need to understand more. Like, so I'm getting this feedback. So I start investigating. And for some reason, I choose the word intense and I Google it. And I Google the word intense, like intensity or whatever, you know, and I find Aurora Holtzman's thing. And I start listening to these podcasts and I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) I started just like, just listening to all of them going, okay. And just now I understand why I act like this. And and it was so funny because listening to her podcast, I mean, I don't think I've even told this to her. I felt such like completely understood and seen that I almost like this is a revelation. And then with the friends that were gifted, I was sharing that podcast with them. I was like, have you listened to this? This is crazy. And they would listen to a few like, yeah, I kind of, yeah. I'm like, no, listen to more of them. <laughs> like, and then like, cause they would still be like kind of skeptical and whatever. So that was really my transition into seeing this as a trait because in her show, the way she does it, similar to yours with the narration, that's when you really get enough information. I think as a gifted mind, if someone just says you're gifted, you're like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Actually, I'll, I'm going to opt out of this now that you told me that. Like, That's going to be all the more reason why I'm not going to actually <laughs> identify. But when you describe it more through narrative and through experiential words and thoughts, all I could feel over and over again is attunement. I was like, oh, this is attunement. And I had studied child development too. And I think I joked about this with you. Like when I had my kids, because this is so classic gifted. Oh, I had kids. Let me study child development for a year and a half. Let me read (laughs) all of Piaget and I'm going to take classes in this. Like, because obviously if you're going to be a parent, you need to like study like that's obvious you need a doctor degree in this yeah like maybe I should do yeah and what next what's my next thing and they're like and even like trying to understand what career to have I chose human resources it's kind of a peace and conflicts degree it's an interdisciplinary type of field it has lots of different things you can do in it and you can kind of mold it into whatever you want and you get to kind of study what makes work useful. So like, I know a lot about what makes work healthy and sustainable. And what was funny is by the end of leaving the job, I was like, I am not good at <laughs> this environment and this job. And I think that it's the environment and it came around with having listened to Aurora's show and she has so many different types of people on there talking about their different journeys. And also each one of them is so unique but collectively made sense just in the overall way that they were having to approach their life with this very, like I would call it a lens where you have to be more self-aware and you have to be attuning to yourself finally and saying, oh, actually I really don't like loud noises and buzzing and bright lights and I don't like open offices and I don't like being interrupted like randomly. And you have to start really tuning into your actual physical environmental needs really carefully and then you have to be also something that was like totally a revelation was like I would just be reading all kinds of books all the time in between anything and I didn't realize that I had such a high demand of needing intellectual stimulation now I can validate it now it doesn't feel like oh I'm so weird why am I reading three books at a time always and I would be talking to other people and they're like you read so much it was a little like are you kind of like what's what's going on like, and even the friends okay this is the worst attunement that I have sometimes 
is it's like anytime someone talks about a subject, I'll have like four books that I've read and I'll be like, here, read these. And they'll be like, and they'll be like, um, I don't read six books every month. Okay. Like I might read one book a year or like, you know, and these are smart, intelligent people. I'm not saying anything bad, but it's just, that is a lack of attunement where I'm like, so surely you can read six books this month, right? Because I'm reading six. I'm just thinking now, is that how people perceive me? Because every time somebody talks to me about a subject, I'm like, oh, have you read this book? Or, oh, look at this book. I know. And I always, like, I've had to stop myself so many times that in my mind, I'm like, they would love these 17 books. <laughs> I don't say anything. I'm like, that sounds a ton like that 16th book that I just read. <laughs> I'm actually thinking of like making on my website like links to all the books or right. just a link. I I use Goodreads to keep track of all the books I read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good space for that because that's a space where you're and that's okay, that's a great thing that you just said because this is what I've really had to do with my gifted attunement is find the right space hmm. for where you want to examine and look at your gifted needs and don't talk about it with someone who doesn't want to talk about it. (laughs) As much as you want to do that, that is not going to go well. And this is part of my, another thing that I'm still, you know, evolving through is trying to understand when I'm attuned and when I'm not, because I've gone through my whole life really with this discordant feeling. And it's so frustrating. I mean, some of it, I think, I still, I don't have a diagnosis for this, but um, reading this book called Divergent Minds that I discussed with you, it's by Janara Nuremberg. She talks about how women have this cluster that are these gifted women around neurodivergence, which may include things like autism, sensory processing, ADHD. But if you looked at the cluster, if you looked at them as a constellation of symptoms, there are a lot of them are just high sensitivity, like hyper mind kind of thing. Like your mind is so like almost like open with lots of like many, many fingers or something. And so then it's pulling in lots of data. So then it's about how do you accommodate, which I really understand as an HR manager, how do you create an environment for this person to do their best work, their life's work, their best partner work, their best friend work. And that's what I've been exploring. And I'm still struggling sometimes with attunement because I think because of my neurodivergence and having not been mirrored for so long in a consistent, healthy way, like most of the jobs that I was in, the people I would find one or two. And I think later on, I realized they were neurodivergent who could understand me. And then the rest of the people were looking at me with this, like they would still be kind, but there would just be a lack of attunement is all I can say. And that, that mismatch over time, it just creates this, I don't know if you can relate to this, but this like cumulative feeling of what's wrong with me, of what's wrong with me or this exhaustion, honestly, of like, I'm exhausted now because I don't know where to find my tribe. And also I had been looking into these kind of concepts around belonging and, you know, just things. And none of them ever resonated enough because every time I would get in situations with the general population, I would keep feeling this mismatch. So then I really did say it's me. Like I, I like, like as a smart person, okay. You can tell the difference. (laughs) You know, it's you when you're the only one that thinks that like it's you, (laughs) Ta-da, it's you. <laughs> like, and, and if it is really five to 10% of the population, who knows, 
then it really is like you're not actually so this this whole like awareness of like relaxing and going okay but see some people would see it as oh well I'm actually now because I'm this now I'm better I have never felt better than anyone I don't think ever that's like almost never happened to me where I was like well I'm really it's like most of the time how it feels to be gifted is like I'm not enough. Like, I wish I could adapt better. That's how it feels to be gifted. I wish I didn't have this kind of almost like a disability because it feels like I'm seeing and feeling too much all the time. So then I have to adapt constantly to the neurotypical environments or even to the environments. I wouldn't even call them neurotypical, but the way we've designed societies are not really conducive to mental health or even good health for anyone you know, for anyone. And then we're supposed to constantly adapt or even encourage others. Oh yeah, you shouldn't be feeling like that. Or a lot of the mental health models that I see out there are very one size fits all. And they don't account for the real neuro atypical person, unless you have a real known disability, which mental disabilities are really underdiagnosed and also undervalued and under-resourced People are very pathologized in our culture if they have even depression or anxiety. But a gifted person is always going to have depression, anxiety, (laughs) because they're always interacting in this way that's like totally not attuned. I mean, that's my feeling in my own experiences. Most gifted people suffer from severe mental health challenges. I've had many crises over the years that I kept trying to understand and attribute to like some one source. And it was always in retrospect, I hadn't attuned to myself. I hadn't accepted my own difference and I hadn't understood in like a deep way. This is real. You're experiencing the life as a gifted person. And now that I have the terms and the language for it, I guess that's where I feel more liberated and empowered. Yeah. And empowered. And I think hearing these narratives and I mean, why I was so moved by your show was that it felt very much like your story and my story overlapped and intersected. And then with all your friends and even the way that you orient toward your friends reminds me of how I orient toward my friends. Cause I'm a very like playful, like giddy, excited person. But sometimes I've actually been a little bit embarrassed about that. Like it almost seems that you, you said this once in one of your things, you said that people think of you like you're a little child or something. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, and I'm like, but, And then I heard you say that and I went, whoa, that is exactly how I've thought people see me. And then I think, but that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's actually nice. And I mean, one of my friends even said something like, I like listening to you talk, or I like, you know, your laughter that you're very bubbly. Like, but like, look, look at us. Like we're kind, we're nice. We're like bubbly, effusive. And then we're kind of like, oh, like shouldn't be that way. Like what? Like this culture is so weird. Like when do you just get to be who you are? Yeah. And I think obviously I also had my phase where I tried to fit in and then I had my first job and I actually worked at the bank for a year and my friend took me shopping and we, she's really like good at fashion. Uh And so, because I thought there's either jeans or like a full on pantsuit and she's like, no, 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 there's so much in between. Uh And I was the most fashionable person in that office. It was a small office, but just to say, like, I thought I had to have this like business persona, you know, when you go to the office, you need to be serious. And that's maybe why I wasn't so happy because 
I put this pressure on me. And now that I'm where I work now, I've been for some years. And over the years, I just let my guard down. (laughs) And now I just I am who I am. And a lot of people there are probably also on the gifted. Mm -hmm. And because I work in a research setting. But yeah, the more I am just who I am. And And I think it's just okay, because then, as you say, the mirroring, right? I think also by this show, I'm like, people come up to me and say like, oh, you're so like vulnerable. You share such personal things. Like, wow, I'm so impressed. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this completely. And if I- Yeah, you're going to be authentic. Like you almost can't not be authentic. I mean, I want to say something to you about that. I really appreciate that. And I know what they're trying to say. But honestly, like when you just said that, I was like- I can't be any other way. Exactly. It's too exhausting. My partner said this to me. He's like, do you have trouble not being honest? I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, because I see that you really have trouble with that. Oh, I cannot make pranks. I cannot lie. I don't know if I should say that on the show so people can take advantage. I do make a lot of jokes, but I don't do them in a way that I can't like falsify things. I just don't do that. I have to hide it. Actually, what's painful is like in work situations. I don't know if this came up for you. It's sometimes working where you would know something or someone would tell you something or confide in something. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to know that because then it's like it affects you. You just. Yeah, I don't like concealing things. I like to be as much out in the open, but kindly, you know, not in a way that's hurting others. But that's a real struggle because most I think I read this somewhere like the neurotypical is to just very much shield and mask your real feelings. And for me, it's like, I think you're like this too. It's like, you just want the immediacy of contact. I'm feeling this way. So this is how I'm talking. I mean, not that you don't filter, but there's almost like, there's no desire. Yeah. Having a filter is more difficult. I think for me, for us, I don't know. I mean, also maybe being outgoing. I don't know. It's hard for me not to be open. With a person like you, it's very easy to be open. Now, maybe if I was with someone who was less willing or interested, then I would shut down. I would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, this person doesn't want to talk or whatever. But for someone like you, I would just want to talk the whole time. You know, like, (laughs) basically be myself completely is what I'm trying to say as much as. Yeah, and I think when growing up, it's interesting what you said also, like, you didn't find this one best friend and yeah. it was difficult to have, you know, these deep conversation with this single person, but you looked for, you know, friends and I guess you did have friends along the way. And I think yeah. a lot of us, once we realize what's going on with the giftedness is that it's kind of okay yeah. to have friends like you have multiple friends and then you have this person you do this with, and then you have this person that loves that. And then you have the other person, you know, that you share interests, but because we have so many different interests, we need a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm more like that. Um, definitely more like you because some gifted people really aren't as interested in having all these interactions and all these friendships. And so some of my gifted friends who are more introverted, they would look at how my lifestyle was with having a multitude of different interests with different people. And they might even express a little bit of, it wasn't exactly an envious feeling, but it was kind of like, how are you doing this? Like my partner even says things like this, like, it's so easy for you. It's so, and I said, you know, it's not so much that it's easy. It's just seems that it's what I need. And so then I also, you know, sometimes because my partner is male, 
I think women have an easier time sometimes socializing than men. Mm. And so for women that are very emotional, it's easier for them to, when I say very emotional, like needing emotional attunement and having emotional expressiveness, like you and I wanting to talk and having a lot of talk oriented processing that we enjoy, which is totally great. You know, that's a great need that we have, but that for us, it's easier to navigate. Like we have more opportunities Hmm. and that's what I see is often in the male population that there's a lot of shutdown around emotions. (laughs) And so there's not as many avenues for that. And so I'll either see like men are able to then maybe have more female friends if they're more emotionally gifted the way we are. And then there's just not as many opportunities for them to attune with other men. Now, that's just maybe cultural. It might be in different cultures and maybe it's different. But I'm talking about the United States or maybe just California or maybe just Berkeley, California. I don't know. But anyway, but yeah, I've seen that for sure. So yeah, I'm the way you are, like where there's a lot of different kinds of people that I like to be with and enjoy. And I have that bubbly personality. So I think people are drawn in by, you know, the humor and the warmth and all those things, but there's a lot more to me. You know, I'm not just that, but that's an external thing that does draw people to you. Like you have that personality too, is is a very warm and engaged person. And that's why I really resonate. Like that's why you and I are really attuned. It's like, Oh, someone just like me. (laughs) I felt the same. Yeah. And I think for me, uh, just at some point, yeah, I thought, okay, this is just who I am. And if people don't see it. Yeah, then they won't. Yeah. I mean, if they get to know me, I'm also been described as naive in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously childlike and bubbly, but I I don't think it's, it's a bad thing. So you can think whatever you want, like I'm okay with who I am by now. So, yeah, but for sure, there are still people out there struggling. And I think that's also why I think, you know, I have this personality. I'm outgoing. I'm bubbly. I like to talk. That's why I have a podcast. (laughs) And I do know I have probably more self-esteem or I'm okay with myself and I know others don't. And again, where you have this equality issue, I I have the same and I just want to be an advocate for those people. And I know a lot of people advocating, you know, for gifted kids because they say they don't have the voice. They don't get the support they need. I want to be their advocate and I'm just the advocate. for all the adults that also need support. And just because you're gifted, you're not going to figure it out yourself. You do need some support. Yeah, you need more help. I think that that's what I really understood what you just said is like, you need a lot of help when you're gifted, because you're navigating things in a way that takes more energy and complexity. It's like, if you're going to have higher levels of neurocognition where you're taking in more data, then you need more tools to help you filter and control it. And also not even control it, but manage it or direct it effectively. Like Aurora talks about this on her show about harnessing your intensity. And I think that's where I'm at right now. I'm still on the journey of how to harness it, but, but knowing which spaces and attuning to which spaces are appropriate is important because I think what was happening for me is I was struggling trying to find well is it okay to be like this here or what about over here and like I think you've figured out organically with your friendships like I have just have like lots of different interests and have different people who 
are able to meet you in that space. Like if you have dance that you like, then be with the friend that likes to dance and that's what you're going to do with them. And maybe you're going to do a lot of other things with them too, but don't then go to your friend who doesn't dance and be like, come on, why aren't you dancing? <laughs> Get up, let's dance. And, you're, and they're like, I really don't dance. <laughs> and you're like, no, but doesn't everybody just dance? I think also maybe, maybe this is another thing I want to talk about a little bit is being multi-potential, which is that term for being interested in a lot of subjects and being really capable in a lot of areas. Also, I want to just say that looks really weird to people. I've had people say to me, is there anything you can't do? Like, what is it? What is going on with you? Like this minute, you're like an artist. The next minute you're doing like something like with science, the next minute you're doing something over here. And that's not to boast. It's really like, that's how I am. It's like, I can cook really well. I can also sing. I can dance. I can do this other thing. And then they're like, well, then, you know, what? I don't uh, like, what are you trying to do? Is this some kind of like, you know, like as if everything that I'm doing is like a commodity or something, I'm just doing me. This is like me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's something where you always are a little bit like, what if I have all these interests? I don't know. There was something I remember being a little shut down sometimes feeling like, almost like people don't want to see, is it that they don't want to see someone doing something because they want to do it? I mean, because to me, I mean, like, I look at you, you're different than me. I don't judge that. I don't say, oh, so then why am I not also doing the exact same thing? And, (laughs) but I think there's something where I think I got the message early. I don't know if it's also being female, because you talk about this on your show, being female, sometimes you're not supposed to be too smart. You're not supposed to be too this or too that. And if you're attractive, then you're not smart or, you know, there's all these like weird boxes. Right. And I remember perceiving some of those and they're so complicated, like those filters that you're getting on yourself of like, it's almost like people's expectations are never what you actually are. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like they see one thing, but actually you're this other thing that's like way more. Oh, I think I just realized something because in the past, people have told me that they thought I was shallow. Mm. Only when they got to know me, they're like, oh, he actually not. And so I realized my first impression that I give is not the correct one, obviously, but people that take the time and then they actually admit it. But I also felt the same with other people. So I never judge anybody the first time. Me too. I'm like the opposite because I think everyone was judging me too. And very similar to what you're saying. I would get this response of like, oh, that's that cute bubbly person. And then I'd be like, I'm actually very intellectual. <laughs> I actually read a lot. <laughs> I'm not, but oh, here's a book I can advise you. Yeah, to. here's 16 books of you. You know, are you reading as much as I am actually? <laughs> just kidding. I just, it was just hard because I was like, well, this is who I am. And I remember feeling like, Like I can tell from like listening to you that you're being who you are. Like this is who you are. Like you organically are this bubbly, kind and thoughtful. And it it does actually speak to the social equity because I think people that care a lot, part of why we're joyful and positive in this way, I think some of it has to do with us being neurodivergent where we're emotionally sensitive. We talked about this in our last discussion about how you are also sensitive the way I am where you see like a sunset and you're like, that is the best sunset. 
oh my gosh, my whole self is flooded. And that's like the sensual and the emotionality. And so because we have that, then of course we don't want to see people suffering. So why would we ever compete with anyone? And why are people so mean? That sounds naive, right? When you say that to someone, why are people so mean? It sounds like a little kid, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's a good question. Why are people mean? (laughs) It is an interesting and very good question. I've been trying to answer that my whole life. I just want to ask you one question because you talked about the multi-potentiality. Yeah. Do you sometimes take things out of your CV when you apply for things? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Like I've had to tailor every CV. I I go, okay, just put the relevant stuff. Don't make it look like you're, because this last job that I applied for, I was like, should I leave that? Should I take off that I was an art teacher like this? (laughs) But then I was like, well, it's a design school. Maybe I should put that in there, but it was for a human resources manager. But then I I pivoted off and I said, you know, if you can teach multi-grade level kids in a room, then certainly you can manage a college, right? (laughs) Aren't these things in some ways analogous? Dealing with a conflict at work with an employee who's has some trouble That's dealing with young people in an environment like a school setting or in an art setting. Plus, you know, if it's a design college, then yeah, of course, you can have art background, then you'll understand the reason for the whole mission of the college. Yeah, I think I oftentimes would find ways to express that in my resume, but I would tailor it to the job and say, here's transferable skills that I think would work across anything. So... (laughs) Oh, I love our conversation. We're already talking almost an hour. I have one last question for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is there anything else you would like to share? Or is there anything you wish you would have known earlier? I definitely want to share that it's not, it's not easy, I think, for anyone who's gifted. Even if you look at a gifted person like myself, I'm in my mid-40s. And I'm a little more well-adjusted for different reasons just because of where I am in my life. I have two young children who are now 10 and 13. But when they were young, I was really struggling because they were both a lot of work and effort for me because I didn't understand how much more (laughs) demands that I would have, not just because of my own neurodivergence, because I had kids that were also neurodivergent. So I guess what I want to share is it gets easier if you know about it. And I really wish I had known maybe before I became a parent that I was neurodivergent and that I had resources and materials that would have supported me and supported the gifted needs that I now see that I had. And that because I wasn't aware of them, I was unfortunately very, very ill-equipped. And also I would say telling myself that I should be doing a lot better as a parent and as a mother, like there's a lot of pressure on you as the mother. And I could see, I could just see like in the interactions, wow, this is such a sophisticated interaction. This is taking a lot of my energy to really understand and attune to my child. And I don't feel like my own attunement in my own life is getting attuned to. So then I was having a lot of this lack of understanding. And when I read this book called Divergent Minds that I mentioned earlier, she talked about sensitivity and how women also, if they are neurodivergent, they struggle a lot with raising children. And the reason why they struggle is they're very sensitive. 
they have a lot of needs and often they don't know what they are, you know, if they haven't been diagnosed or they don't have that awareness. And so they go through thinking they're doing everything like they know there's something they're not quite getting. But so I really wish like, if I could compassionately talk to all neurodivergent parents out there and say it can be very challenging, but it does get easier once they're a little older. And once you understand the complex, I mean, the book that I would really recommend for parents is called Living with Intensity. It was a book that I was originally, it was suggested and I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's not me. It was back to that thing where I just didn't want to deal with the fact that I was gifted because I have this. It's so funny because, you know, you, you suggest something to give to people in any field and they're like, yes, it's interesting. I want to learn more. But when you talk about their own giftedness, they're like, oh, that's not for me. Thank you. I think gifted people are very protective because mm -hmm. they have had to live in a world where their feelings, their emotions, their intellect has been derided in different ways in multitudes of micro, small ways that they pick up on because they're so aware. And then they themselves, unfortunately, then develop these much more elaborate defenses. <laughs> and so that's like when I'm dealing with someone who really doesn't want to acknowledge that, and I know how gifted they are, I just ignore it. I just say, okay, I'm not going to go to that topic, but I'm going to talk to them and attune to them as them. Like you don't need them to know, but you also want them to have tools, but it's just like any friend or anyone you care about, like you you know, maybe something would help them, but you're not sure, like, because it's them, they have to decide for themselves. And you never want to force yourself on someone because I've never liked that if someone said, well, you need to do this, you know, gifted people don't like being told what to do. <laughs> I won't say I won't tell you, Nadia, that you don't like being told what to do. But I think you don't. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> So that should be the title of, of my podcast. I really don't like being told what to do. I love I it. I probably should do what you told me to do because it's probably the right thing. <laughs> Although I want to say on a separate note, Nadia, I did have this really funny revelation recently that I've become much more open to influence as I've aged mm. because I know now that people are not telling me things out of a negative thing. I'm like more okay with myself. I have a stronger sense of self. Sometimes when people tell me things, I'm like, I should just take that advice. Like, let's just cut to the chase. If they said that that's what I should do, let me just do it like meditation. Okay. Yeah. I should probably just do it. Like, let's like cut out all these steps where I'm like, Oh, they told me that like, I've become a lot more porous or something. And I mean, the gifted thing actually helped me a lot with that because <laughs> now I'm like, I'm just a lot more open to oh, I should really, what is it? Be more flexible, hmm. like open my mind to be more broader because I think what I was doing in the past was limiting myself because of the giftedness. I was so sensitive that I was shutting down. I think a lot of gifted people shut down. And so then now that I'm opening up, I'm like, why don't I just open to everything? Like I'll still have my internal boundaries, but you know what I mean? Like there's a whole world out there. Like, and I am a more global thinker. And I bring in stuff like in a way where I take a whole kind of group of information and then distill it into something that I really can use. But I do like to read a lot and I do like to take in a lot. I'm more of like a filter 
person like goes and takes like all the stuff. <sighs> so anyway, I know you, I know it's, I know we're probably needing to wrap up. So, but I'm still. Unfortunately, but I really love this. And I hope maybe you come back onto the show in a little bit later and tell us how, what you've been up to and what you have distilled. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. And we're going to keep talking off the podcast anyways. So yeah. Yeah. So, but it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate your show and I appreciate you. And thank you for all the energy that you bring into the space, because I know this is just something you're doing in your spare time. And it's so helpful for the world to have more voices out there. And you're inspiring me to do more, to be more outgoing. Yeah. I just, I really appreciate you listening and attuning to me as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. I'll see you later. I hope you loved this as much as I did. And fun fact, did you know that Nadia actually means hope? So I hope that Nadia and I were able to spread a little bit of hope around this topic of giftedness and a little bit of hope and positivity of how to navigate through this neurodiversity field and through different careers and multi-potentiality and just spreading joy with our bubbly and positive personality and spread a little bit of hope in those dire times that we're in. I think the two of us, we have such similar personalities and I hope we weren't overwhelmed by our intensities and got a little glimpse into a conversation when two intense and amazing human beings just have an interesting conversation about everything and anything. So I'm so happy you're here and I'm so happy you found this podcast. So if this is something you could relate and something that is useful and helpful to you, please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and give a few stars. That would really mean a lot because the more people that like the show on Apple Podcasts and the more that actually leave a written review, you can scroll all the way to the bottom and then leave a written review. That means that more people get to see this podcast and by, I guess, the algorithm showing it to other people and helping it to promote it in a way that people that are putting in the keywords and searching for information around this topic that they didn't see it. So if this podcast helps you, then please, please, please leave a review. That would really mean a lot. So with that said, I'm wishing you a wonderful week and enjoying maybe already the first few sunshine rays of spring that's coming now in March. Well, depending on where on the globe you're living. And I'll see you in two weeks. Bye!